Welcome back to the Siding Lap, where we give you an insight into the world of motorcycle racing. Now, on this week's podcast, we are here to talk about everything you need to know after round 16 of the MotoGP Championship. We finally returned to Phillip Island, the best circuit on the calendar, hands down. And this weekend's event provided what Phillip Island does every year, an absolutely stunning race in all three classes. But before we jump into everything that happened um, in the racing scene, we need to talk about some things that happened off track. Um, so firstly, I think quite a big one that I want to talk about is the fact that Manuel Gonzalez has signed for Grissini in Moto2 for 2024. I mean, what a fantastic move. But this also now means that that sort of shuts Fabio Di Antonio off to a switch back down to Moto2. Thoughts and opinions on Gonzalez going to Grissini? I think it'll be I think it'll be a nice environment. Grassini seems like quite a family environment. It seems like a, a fun team to want to race for. Um again, um, you've seen how they've treated Philip Salach. He he looks well, he looks very comfortable this year. Obviously, he's moving on next year. I believe. Yes, to uh, Mark VDS Mark alongside Tony Arbolino. So you can see how that's kind of become a family. You've seen how Alex Marquez is integrated into the team in the in the most GP setup. How I suppose Mark is very excited to go. How Digier has felt at home and Ao felt at home last year. It does feel like a very homely environment. I don't know whether that will almost make him feel more comfortable um, progressing in his Moto Two career. I'm quite excited to see how it works out because. He's given so much this year, and I know he's like the chronic fifth place man, but I think that Grassini might be the perfect environment for him to go above and beyond, and I am actually quite excited for it. Yeah, definitely. Next on the list of uh, rider announcements, though, home Grand Prix for none other than Joel Kelso, and it gets announced this weekend that he does in fact have a seat for next year with the Bow Motorsport in Moto3. Now, for the last couple of rounds, we've sort of been him and hang over whether or not Joel is actually going to have a ride for next year. He's been posting about it on his social media that he didn't have anything that he could really do with the backing of some sponsors. You know, racing is expensive in these lower classes. And finally... At his home round, he's able to announce that he's staying in the Moto3 class with a fantastic team. I mean, things can go, things can only go up from here, is what I'm trying to say. The schedule of this weekend's racing. Now, we're going to Phillip Island in the springtime. You know, it always throws up some tricky weather conditions. Now, last year, we had literally one of the best Grand Prix races we've seen in history. This year, it was set to look pretty similar until the weather forecast came in and rain and wind and the most horrible cold conditions you could ever imagine were set to hit Phillip Island this weekend. And they did. So, MotoGP decided to change the MotoGP main race from Sunday to Saturday for the first time since the 2015 Grand Prix in Assen because the the, the circuit of Assen used to always run a Saturday race, so we're kind of used to it in MotoGP, but it's been quite a long time since um 
we've sat down to watch a full Grand Prix on a Saturday. I know we sort of got used to racing on a Saturday again with the sprint races, but this was quite a big decision to be made by MotoGP and Dorna and all those involved. Right decision, wrong decision. What do we think? It was a bit strange, and it sort of felt uh, a bit like... Oh. I think fans maybe... There's surely something... I don't know what happened with the tickets, mostly. If the tickets almost stayed the same, I feel like a fan would be very, very disappointed uh, for just buying a Sunday-only ticket. Uh, Sunday uh, ticket holders were allowed into the circuit. Oh, that makes, then forget what I just said there. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> um, in which case, yes, it did feel weird. Um, I watched it uh, as soon as I woke up. and Big fan. I watched it live. Okay, sure. Uh, <laughs> and I've, I've, I've had a weekend of my own. Anyway, um, and it really did feel weird because I was expecting, you know, a Saturday sprint, you're expecting just half distance. Uh, how many laps is it? 27, so 13 yeah. were we supposed to get? Yeah, something like that. I was that. expecting, and I woke up, I was like, mate, hold breakfast, give me 20 minutes. And I'm like, oh, wait a minute, it's going to be about 40 um but i mean we got a we got a great race i'm not complaining about it we will get into that later <laughs> um, i don't know if i felt a bit too sorry for moto 3 and moto 2 i felt this i, fe- I feel as if this year dorna and the organizers have kind of shafted moto 2 and moto 3 um to to kind of big up the profile of most gp it's always been the same schedule, the same allowances for Moto2 and Moto3 and MotoGP all on the same schedule. You know, they eradicated the warm-ups this year. Um, They've obviously given MotoGP uh, another race, whereas everyone got equal track time, everyone got equal this, that, and the other. And it almost feels as if Dorna is kind of taken away from Moto2 and Moto3 this year, or at least for the riders' sake. Yeah, 100%. I, I I sort of felt a bit strange and you hit the nail on the head saying you woke up on Saturday and you were going, okay, 20 minutes, sprint race, bang, let's get this over and done with. You know, excitement builds for that sort of short, short, exciting racing that sprint races have provided in the past. And then you go and sit down and you're like, oh yeah, 27 laps. And then halfway through it, I was sort of like, oh, like is this not like nearly over yet? This feels like a lot of laps. And it's weird because I'm not the biggest lover of sprint races, but I find the change like a a big shock to the system. Yeah, I was kind of like, I was, we got to about, well, we got to about 10 laps in and I was thinking, surely it must be done now. Oh, 17 to go. Yeah. What are we doing? Just, just, just end it now. Um, No, but I mean, it, it, it was a weird adjustment. Like I, it, it didn't feel right. But yeah. if it's for rider safety, well, if it's for MotoGP rider safety, that's uh, that was probably the right decision. I, it does leave maybe a sour taste in my mouth about Moto Two and Moto Three, leaving them out into you know, oh well, uh, go out in the conditions. Your, you know, your troopers go out and do it. Yeah. That's sort of how it felt. When they've given MotoGP, like, oh no, you guys, you guys are amazing. You can have the dry conditions. It'll be fine. Yeah. 
that's kind of what it felt like. And Saturday's conditions weren't horrendous. Phillip Island, where it is, the conditions are always sort of tricky because the wind, because it's such an exposed circuit, and the wind can always catch you off guard there. So, yeah, I don't really know where I was going that, but yeah, it, it just didn't seem fair. It's it's always a pretty wild place to go, but we lined up. We were ready to go. I've waited seven, well, sorry, not just me. All of us have waited seven years to watch Johan Zarco win a MotoGP race. I leapt off my sofa, cheered. I wish I could do a backflip of my own because I would have. I was that ecstatic about watching Zarco win that race. It was planned to perfection and he made it look so easy and he'd made it look like he'd won a million MotoGP races before. Like, stunning. Literally no words. I'm still stunned thinking about it and it's two days later. I went back on Twitter, I think either today or yesterday, and I listened to the French commentary from Canal Plus, and oh my God, it makes it so much, so much better. Um, you know, it's 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 like a it's like a French rider in the Tour de France, you know, they go absolutely berserk. It's crazy, absolutely crazy. And I think that just really brings out the emotion of, you know, how French fans, how Yuan Zarco is feeling to to wait that long in pain and um i i, I want to spare a thought to bamo gp memes who has lost his uh jake dixon crashing out of the lead memes his dennis onchu not winning memes and yuan zarko not winning memes this year um if aaron cannot wins this year i say he just needs to retire the page yeah at that point yeah what, what can you do yeah um you know, fair play for him is still going because <laughs> Um, no, but as I'm saying, I think the fact that we, you know, the fact that we're laughing about this now and we're, you know, making such a big deal of it probably does show how amazing and when it gets in your head, seven years worth of races that you've been waiting for that first win. Silverstone last year would have been the one and he crashed out. You know, you can talk about plenty back in his tech three days and... I mean, it's just it's just bonkers, really. Yeah, and it was just the simplicity of it. Like I mentioned, just he looked so comfortable up there and he's had so many second-place finishes, so many third-place finishes. He's a two-time Moto2 world champion. We know Ewan Zarco is a fantastic rider. This win sort of felt like the last dance, the last hurrah with Pramac, obviously moving on to LCR Honda next year. He said it himself, he's not sure where that is going to go, but this really felt like the last opportunity to win with with Pramac and win with Ducati. This seems like his his best opportunity to do that. And, you know, yeah, we still have four more races to go. There's a high chance he could go out and win the, the next four because once you win one, you know, they all come thick and fast after that. But, yeah, it did sort of leave that last hurrah feeling in my sense and it feels like such a a good goodbye to his days at Pramac and a a team that have treated him so well we've had a lot of these like emotional goodbyes haven't we you know Mark's probably thunder and yeah he described that as romantic and I think you know 
you've seen the emotion on Zarko's faces in the interviews afterwards. And I think there's probably another emotional podium that's worth talking about as well. Um, with Fabio Di Gennantonio, who yes, who looks like he's not even going to be in the Grand Prix paddock next year, and you know these last few rounds, he's just piled it on, piled it on, piled it on. So many, so many great results. Um, his best results since obviously, uh, I think it was Mugello last year. Yeah, after, after we took pole, you know, I think he finished fifth or something like that. You know, and he's recorded incredible top six finishes was fourth last time out and to take his first podium when it just looks like when his back was completely against the wall there's one seat open in MotoGP right now and odds on he's not going to get it yeah there's a lot of moving parts that need to happen for Fabio Di Antonio to sort of secure the last couple seats or a, a last seat in MotoGP but we talk about momentum swings in the championship in MotoGP. This is the exact same thing of momentum, but with a rider who it just hasn't clicked for, obviously coming into this year. At the end of last year, he said he didn't want to race anymore. He said he's completely fallen out of love with it. Gets a new crew chief in Frankie Carcetti this year. And honestly, he is a new man. They've completely changed that Ducati. It's not what the other guys are riding. The setup is completely different. It's to suit him. It's not the bog standard, you know, get on the Ducati and where you go like the other seven bikes are. Um, According to TNT Sport, that is anyways what I've heard. But the momentum swing in Digi's way, I'm just so glad it's happening because he has put himself up in the shop window with a massive for sale sign stuck on him. It is looking a little too little too late, unfortunately. But Superbikes, there's still seats up for grabs there. There are seats for grabs in other classes. He has to get a ride somewhere else. You know, you're going for MotoGP. People are going to want you. And with performances like this, he will get a seat. It's just so unfortunate that it's looking less and less likely that it's going to be a MotoGP. But we talk about Zarco being comfortable at the front. And I want to add on that, that Digia looked just as comfortable being up there in that third position. He was making overtakes on Peko Bangaya, on Jorge Martin. People who are in a championship fight and he made the most clean, sensible passes I don't know if you've seen it. His pit board literally said breathe on it from the first, you know, couple laps when he found himself up in podium contention. And even when the race looked like it was maybe getting away from him and, you know, the likes of Brad Binder and Peko and Jorge Martin were all getting involved. He just, he did exactly what he needed to do and he stayed calm. And yeah, the experience is there. And it just goes to show that, you know, two years is a very short amount of time in Grand Prix racing. And look what it can produce. And yeah, it's, it's romantic as well, as Mark Marquez would describe it. Like you said, it's just, it's so feel good. It's so feel good. Bye bye, Ducati. Yeah. It's, it's a sad way to say goodbye to another, another yeah, rider. I, I suppose, you know, hopefully, with, I still think there's some musical chairs to be played in the, in the Grand Prix paddock, say, yeah. I know Miguel Oliveira has now said no Repsol Honda, but if maybe another rider switches over, 
maybe here's a free seat for him somewhere. There's there's loads of permutations that can that can still happen. You know, he's gonna want to he's gonna want to make that happen. Obviously, the 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 first part of the move is out of his hands. Or maybe Repsol Honda just just hire him and you know yeah. he, and he wins a world championship. It's you know that that would be that would be a dream for me. Yeah. Uh, but the boy can race. Like <laughs> we we haven't seen it, but look at this now. I mean, you know, these last few rounds, he's absolutely stunned me. And you know, that that post last year, like it did touch my heart. Like, you know, when you see someone at the tail end of the championship, you don't think much of them when you can't see them on the timing screens. And they've come out to you as a person and they've said, you know, I can't do this anymore. And in a real moment of 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 opening up and, you know, seeing something that we don't see from riders. And the fact that he's come back from that, he's come back stronger. They've ripped up the they've ripped up the game plan and gone, right, this is what we're gonna do. They've changed it all and the boy can race. Yeah. And not only race, he can race good. Yeah. Do you know someone else who can race good? Peku bloody Banyaya. And this has become, you know, I'm becoming a broken record at this point. Another champion ride. He did everything he needed to do. He let the race come to him. He bided his time. He didn't rush. And a P2, just like that. He celebrated it like a win. We're somehow seeing a different side of Peko, this animated side of Peko, who's like punching the air and showing emotion when he actually does well. Time to perfection and, you know, comes out of the weekend now with a 27-point lead over Jorge Martin. Exactly where he wanted to be coming out of this weekend over a race win now. And literally speechless after that. I just I cannot believe how well he rode. When we've seen Peko's back against the wall before, he has yeah. like he has just let it all flow away. He let Jorge Martin take the lead. He lost the championship in twenty one. He you know, effectively almost ruled out his championship hopes in twenty two before that remarkable comeback. When your back is against the wall, he crumbled. But now we're seeing this different side to him. You know, the pressure is really on. He's in a tight championship fight. This is something that he's he's not had since his Moto2 days. And we're seeing that fight back. We're seeing that, we're seeing that absolute instinct of, 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 of riding under pressure. You know, pulling out the big results when you need to. And that is one of the biggest P2s of his life that he'll ever have. Especially oh. when you had. Jorge Martin, he's led the whole race. Yeah. Last last three laps, he was leading by three seconds. He's caught up, and he's and Martin's gone. Uh, you know, he's finished in fifth. Yeah. That's huge. You know that points deficit is now huge, and it even a wins difference can't even make up the points gap at this point. Yeah. And again, with momentum swings, after last weekend, I sort of thought that Jorge Martin had an opportunity this weekend. And I think he thought that too. Lining up on the grid, he takes pole position. Stunning lap. That guy is by far the fastest man on the race circuit at the minute. Goes for a gamble. 
picks the soft rear tire everyone's going that is crazy and i kid you not if that race was one lap shorter we would have been talking about how much of a genius jorge martin is and i don't want to rip into him about how much of a silly mistake it was to choose the soft rear tire because i honestly think it was so close to being the most perfect decision ever you could go down to even half a lap if that race was half a lap shorter he would have won it and it would have been the biggest best decision he's ever made and the championship would have swung his way but instead a lot of people are taking it as what a silly silly mistake to choose the rear tire and i think people are so wrong for saying that you need to give credit where credit's due. Like you always hear this on 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 TNT coverage. Neil Hodgson always says, "Don't go different from your rivals. Don't take a gamble." And he took it. Sometimes you have to. You have to. You had to. to. You know the 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 clock is ticking, and you can't give out about it now. The fact that he's went from first to fifth in the last lap, because. You've got to look at the the context of the whole race. He was leading the whole race, and by a considerable margin. Yeah, and it, and, it, and it's one lap's difference, and that's how cruel this sport can be. <laughs> Literally, I feel like upset about it. I'm like, yeah. oh, I just, I really really wanted it to work for him and I am annoyed that it, it didn't go the way that he wanted it to and now that he has um that 27 points to make back up to Peko it's it's tough and he's gonna feel quite hard done by and he's gonna feel annoyed by that but what a what a race what a race how could, how could we ever know that that was gonna happen and yeah Phillip Island as per usual just completely pulled it out of the bag because yeah Jorge Martin was leading by three seconds and you sort of went oh okay it's not uh-huh. going to be a stunner and then bam smacks you right in the face when you least expect it it's it's, it's Philip Island it's, <laughs> it, it's, it's it's crazy I mean if it was up to me I would have 21 Philip Islands a year yeah let's just stay there all year round let's race when it's a little bit warmer though kind of like world superbikes do and pick the right time of year to go but... We've we've changed to the most GP uh, Australian Championship. Yes, let's just let's just do Australian Superbikes. Yeah, sounds. Yeah, oh, I yeah. mean they're going to race there next weekend, so maybe we should just next week's race review is just going to be the Australian Superbike race review at this rate, because <laughs> um, it'll probably be more entertaining. Uh, no, no, I'm excited for Thailand. I promise it's going to be a good race, but one for the history books, quite literally. First MotoGP win for Ewan Sarko, first MotoGP podium for Fabio Di Giantonio and a championship points haul for Peko Bagnaia. No other way to put it. Stunning, stunning race. There probably is more people that I should mention, like Brad Bender in fourth, Marco Bezzecchi in sixth, Bashanini finishing out the top ten, Fabio Quattararo just about grabbing points in 14th after qualifying 17th. Not a good weekend. Mark Marquez qualified 7th. Looked really good. Looked racy. I was hoping for a repeat of last year. 
seemed to just lose something in the latter stages of the race and unfortunately only picked up one point finishing in 15th we then had crashes from Augusto Fernandez and of course Johan Mir but yeah that is it for MotoGP time to move on to Sunday now the schedule changed on Sunday as we mentioned this year Moto2 and Moto3 do not get a warm-up Instead, what happens during that time is a riders fan a fan parade, where the MotoGP riders are carted around the circuit in a lorry, basically, uh, very similar to F one style, and they get to wave at the fans. You know, there's lots of um rider fan parades where they can sort of um go sign stuff, speak, they do an Instagram live, they take lots of photos. It's good content for social media bad for Moodle 2 and Moodle 3 who lose out on quality track time I think warm-up is important uh, I'm sure the riders would agree and because of the weather conditions predicted weather conditions at Phillip Island this weekend it was announced that Moodle 3 and Moodle 2 warm-up would return for one week only and all three classes would get the usual 10-minute warm-up session thank god they did um just sheer because of the um weather conditions it was horrible on sunday morning completely ridiculous i'm sure a lot of riders were quite annoyed that they actually had to go out and do a warm-up because there were a million and one crashes um but i think it was valuable to do that and in this instance completely the right decision made to change the schedule back to the original and let the riders have a warm-up even if it was a bit chaotic no exactly and i think you have got to think about rider safety this weekend was a it was it was a really strange weekend i suppose it was, dawna had a tough challenge to face if you're trying if you're facing torrential weather yeah there's not a lot you, well there's not a lot you can do but i think they did take some of the right precautions I'm not going to say it was a perfect solution, but what would have been a perfect solution? Uh, all the races on Saturday. <laughs> but then we wouldn't have had enough track time, et cetera, et cetera. No, 100%. Um, I think the right decision made here. A bit of a mumbo-jumbo classic weekend, though. You know, everyone got everyone got warm-up, but we got a MotoGP back on the Saturday, which yeah, yeah, felt strange, but um, no sprint, which meant I was happy. Yeah, it meant everyone could go to bed a bit earlier. But we'll start with the Moodoo 3 on Sunday. Now, usually the drama in Moodoo 3 starts pretty quick off the line when the lights go out for racing. This week, the drama started halfway through the siding lap. Um, Three riders down. Three riders down on the siding lap. Absolutely ridiculous. The conditions were useless like absolutely ridiculous no visibility the rain was chucking it down and the wind was doing what wind does completely taking riders by surprise and Danny Holgado who is in this championship fight has a massive massive high side gets back to his original grid position with a gash above his eyebrow I wish you could see because I'm pointing to my eyebrow right now 
where the gash is on his face, um, but completely cuts his face up. They literally stick a plaster on it, and he's out in five minutes and goes out and races. I think it was nine minutes, but what the hell? If you follow Danny Holgado on Instagram, go look up his account and look at his latest post. I just don't think I've ever seen that in, in motorcycle racing before. Like, you know, you, you you watch something like rugby or anything high contact, you know, between um between players and anything like that. You're gonna see cuts on faces, you're gonna see cuts everywhere else. Motorcycle racing, you're wearing a massive helmet. And oh, it looks it looked horrible. Yeah. It looked, it looked nasty. I mean, I think he probably got stitches by the looks of it. Yeah. Um, squeamish warning, actually, if you do go look at his yeah. Instagram it's and look at the latest thing that's a, yeah. yeah. Um, it was it was so rough. I don't know. I'm confused how it happened. I, I still need to watch the crash back a few times, probably in slow-mo to fully see what the hell actually happened. But there's been a lot of controversy online about it and with another rider, Diogo Morera, who also had a big high side and hit his head, lost consciousness for a split second, got back to pit lane, they repaired his bike, didn't tell anyone that he'd lost consciousness and was let race. Danny Holgado obviously with a massive gash to his face that was plastered up. Lots of talk, lots and lots of talk about concussion protocol the fact that concussion protocol would take longer than the time that those guys had left before the race start why were both of those guys allowed to race in moto 3 given the circumstances it was already a bit on the knife edge really because when you're racing in tough conditions torrential conditions you have got to protect the riders but when you've visibly seen um, cuts on the face, obviously, Marrera hasn't told anyone about the unconsciousness. And is that maybe on the rider's back? Probably. I think as an athlete, you are in that mindset of, I will play no matter what, or I will race no matter what, or whatever your sport is. You will you will try and go out there and perform. Yeah. But you have got to think to yourself: Is it better? Is it would um? Is it more dangerous if I do go out and do it? Yeah, you have yeah. got to ask yourself that question. And obviously, determination and whatever uh, in an athlete's instinct will overrule that nine out of ten times. But that one out of ten can save something horrible happening. Yeah, I mean. There's been lots of instances where riders have needed to be sort of saved from themselves because they have that racer's mentality. You know, they ride with broken bones week in, week out. You know, a knock to the head is means nothing to them, means absolutely nothing. In this case, you sort of go, well, not only did they need to be saved from themselves, but from those around them. Head injuries are such a massive thing that I'm not, you know, educated enough on to make comment but you know anything could happen after having a knock to the head and the fact that neither of those boys were checked 
um, for concussion or went through the correct concussion protocol, um, I think was just a bit disappointing. Um, now, MotoGP in general, I think the concussion protocol is disappointing, not just in this race. Um, I watch rugby. You watch rugby, Harvey. For us, you know, concussion is a massive thing in that sport. And I think just because it is taken so seriously in rugby, uh, and as fans of that sport, when we see something like this happening in another sport in MotoGP, you're sh- I'm, I'm shocked to sort of sit yeah. there and go, that guy has taken a massive hit in the head. Why is nobody taking notice? You know, Why is nobody checking that that rider is okay? And how the protocol works in rugby, you know, the referee sees it. He flags it up straight away. You've taken a hit to the head. You know, take 10 minutes off, temporary replacement. We're going to get you checked, you know. The referee will say it. Yeah. That's how it'll work in rugby. In racing, it's harder. You haven't got uh um well, you haven't got a steward that's basically standing next to the racer the whole time. Yeah. So I suppose in that aspect it's difficult, but surely there's replays and stuff like that. And stewards have actually got to flag up, hold on, wait a second, we've got to check this out. Yeah. I think in this instance as well. Because we were so close to a race start, caution was thrown to the wind. I think if it was a practice session or even the warm-up this morning, things probably would have been very different. Um, But it is just disappointing to know that both guys went out and raced when they definitely shouldn't have. And, you know, if either of them had crashed again, there could have been detrimental effects to themselves or others around them. And, you know, racing is already dangerous enough we don't need to throw in guys who possibly have concussion and possibly aren't fully aware of their surroundings in the mix as well. You know, these guys are literally crazy. We talk about how crazy their races are when they are fully fit and okay. Let's not add. No, of course. And and, and you see in other sports as well, you know, where concussion protocols and even head injuries haven't been taken seriously. There's been boxing incidents where referees haven't looked at you know shots to back of the heads and it's had a long you know it's had a lifetime long impact on them yeah where families have sued um federations and and boxing referees thanks for for an example because they haven't intervened yeah and there needs to be a seamless intervention i suppose where um where you can check and obviously it's 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 racing it's a very very different sport to as we've mentioned boxing and rugby yeah but we need to we need to number one well take it more seriously and number two we need to tighten up a protocol yeah yeah whereas, whereas it's been taken seriously in other sports they've 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 nailed it on the head they know what they do straight away and it's it's well known to everyone, even even fans of the sports who don't read the rule books or the law books. Yeah, exactly. A, a, a casual fan should know that with a crash of that intensity, you shouldn't really be getting up and getting back on your bike again. But on to the actual race. There were a million and one penalties handed out to pretty much most Moto3 riders this weekend due to irresponsible riding during qualifying. Is this something new? No, 
pretty typical. There were a handful of riders, as per usual, going slow on the racing line. I think it was as slow as like 10 miles per hour. Absolutely ridiculous. I don't have note of exactly every single person that it was, but there were quite a few of them. Um, Pretty, pretty stupid. But getting into the actual race, I have to start with Adrian Fernandez. Last week, I gave Adrian Fernandez a bit of stick. Obviously, it's nothing to do with himself personally. It's just the situation that he's found himself in with the Leopard squad. But what a race today. He led for so long and in the conditions that were in front of him, I am so shocked with his performance today. He's not a rider that I have seen enough of to know whether or not the wet weather is good for him to know how he is in these conditions and he led for so long until unfortunately he just made the tiniest of mistakes enough to put him into the gravel but he got back up and somehow managed to finish fifth. I'm quite excited now to see Adrian Fernandez race for not only the rest of the season but for Leopard in 2024 and I do apologize if I came across quite salty last week because what a ride. Yeah, I, I don't think we saw his true potential last year. He was with the Tech 3 team. Yeah. We didn't, we, didn't see, yeah. we didn't see his full potential. And there's uh, it's obviously that pedigree in him. There's pedigree in all of these races here. And yeah. I think, were you right to maybe judge him last week? I don't know. It was first race back. But we saw a very, very different performance. And not only, you know, was a mistake made it was rectified and also not just rectified but he still pulled off a massive performance a fifth place after get after you know putting yourself on the ground yeah and the thing is about it i think if he'd just you know finished fifth as a whole i still would have been impressed because the conditions were literally horrific and he finished ahead of his teammate he did everything right and yeah, pretty pretty stellar bloody performance. I'm like eating my words massively. But yeah, it, it wasn't an issue with Adrian Fernandez that I had myself last week. It was an issue with the team, which I'm just reiterating for everyone because I want to make everyone know that I'm not a big Adrian I'm, Fernandez I, fan. I'm, 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 I'm happy to see Lorenito once once. So. I know and I admitted it too. Here we are. <laughs> Shock. Whoa. Um <laughs> let's talk about race winner though. Dennis Onchu. Where did this performance come from? I've been waiting for this one. I am obsessed with Dennis Onchu and I think he rode the most perfect race ever. He wasn't gonna go for the win, and then seen a couple laps to go, he says, Yeah, I, I know how I can beat Ayumi Suzaki. Are we shocked? Um, and he did it, and he pulled off the perfect block pass on the last lap, and he wins. He takes his third Grand Prix victory, and another last lap winner, like all of his Grand against Prix. Suzaki. Against again, you know, all of his wins this year have been the same. Yeah, it's... he's a racer and a half, and he is—he's a crazy man. We know this anyway. Um, <laughs> if you see, well, 
if you heard about his um his uh post-race interview afterwards you know some of the comments he was making you can tell he's got a crazy character and i mean just wow he is a racer he's crazy he's got this fiery personality that he does put into his racing and you do see it you know these aggressive last lap moves it's perfect for moto three yeah but i the one thing we haven't seen from this year is the consistency and that's what i'm feeling quite not weird about him but a bit disappointed the fact that we've seen these performances these amazing performances think back to the german grand prix he pulled off the perfect race to to do that last that last corner overtake. Yeah. You know, he stuck behind, he was calm, he was composed, which, you know, Dennis Onchu, calm and composed, don't go in the same sentence. Ever. Ever. Yeah. I think I'm the first person to say it in the world. Yeah, you might be. And it's it's a weird, weird thing we've seen from him this year. And he is a racer. And I suppose in Moto2, we'll see another side to him that we've not seen before. But he keeps on impressing me every single time. And he is, an, he, he is a joy to watch, an entertaining racer. But I do feel bad as well for Ayumu Sasaki. I don't think it's me feeling bad for Ayumu Suzaki. I wrote in my notes that he's been mugged again. I feel like week in, week out, I am like a broken record, but for all the wrong reasons with Ayumu Suzaki, you can't be a second place. Like, well, you can't. You can win. But what I'm trying to say is like, he's so good and he's so consistent. And week in, week out, he's on the podium. And he's done so well. He's second in the championship, four points behind Jamin Messiah. And he's not won a race yet this season. He's won plenty in the past. But there's just something completely stumping him this year. And something that he's missing out on with his rivals. I can't knock him in the sense that he is second in the championship. He has within every right to win this championship he looks like a solid contender because like i said consistency he's the only rider showing it at this point but if he could win races he'd have wrapped this championship up by now with the amount of bloody podiums he stood on for me he's had the all but perfect championship he has done absolutely everything he can apart from win Again, it's it's the consistency, and that's what you need to win championships. It's all the wrong sort of consistency. Well, not wrong. It's just not the right type of consistency. If you're not winning races, it's very you, you, hard to win a championship. It is, but, you know, a year full of second places. If he can still somehow pull off this championship, fair dues to him, because, Mr. you know, consistency gets you somewhere. Yeah, and I'll but, eat my words again, because... Uh, I, I can't see it happening is the thing. I, I fully, fully can see him winning the championship. I really don't know out of the three riders here still, I think, in contention. Oh, well, it's, it's, it's topsy-turvy. It changes every week. And I just feel as if, you know, that win will be, if he doesn't win the championship by a couple points, that win's going to be on his mind. It's going to be playing on his mind the whole time. And everyone will be saying it. And it's unfair because he's had, as I said, the near perfect championship. Yeah, 
it's literally everything you could ask for it's just the, minus it's, the winds. It's the slightest of near misses. Yeah. And to be fair, out of his championship contenders, he's the only one who showed up today. Dennis Onshu is still in with an outside shot, but a very outside shot. And when you compare him to Jamie Mazia and Danny Holgado, he rode the perfect race. He made up for his mistake last week after his crash in the bloody siding lap. And he'd done everything he needed to do apart from win. If he'd won the race today, he would have taken the lead in the championship over Jamie Messia. But now he's four points back and Danny Holgado is 22 points back. It's all within a race win. And if someone mucks up next week and, you know, if Messia and Suzaki muck up next week and Danny Holgado wins, guess what? He's got the championship back. And all of a sudden you're like, oh yeah, Danny Holgado deserves it. He's fought back. And then you've got Messia and you're like, oh yeah, actually if he wins it, you're going, oh, he's had a really good season. He's really stepped up. He's finally made that that step he's needed to take in Muru 3. Like, all three of them sort of deserve to win it for all different reasons. And it's, I think whoever makes the least mistakes now in this last four races, but the Vols made a lot of mistakes recently. I mean, this is the yeah, this is the championship that keeps on giving topsy turvy, you know, changes every week. Like you know, forget BSB that we've just had. This is the yeah, this is the place to be. I mean, everyone was hyping up BSB, you know, lead um a different leader every single week. Drama, this that, you know, one rider does this, one rider does that. We've got a three way battle right now for a world championship between three hungry, very worthy talents. You know, you've got. Danny Holgado, who's um you know a talented youngster two years ago in junior classes and has absolutely risen to the challenge this year. You've got Ayumu Sasaki, who showed amazing pace last year. And you know, if he just had that better start of the season, it was his championship. Yeah. And then you have Jamie Masia, who has been chronically a Moto 3 rider for years, for years and years and years. And this was his year that he was going to win the championship and move up to Moto 2. And it's, you've got those three, you know, pieces of the puzzle that all fit, but you've got to decide which one. Yeah. Oh, I love it. And I hate it because it's so stressful. And I can't even put a prediction down. I mean, I had Sasaki at the start of the season. Yeah. And I almost thought as if, you know, he's going to blow him away. Every single week, he's going to be winning race. He's going to start at the back of the grid, win all the races from there. You know, do it like Austria every year, uh, every race. But I mean, this championship is. Yeah, and I literally did it there two seconds ago, where I said out of everyone, I think Ayumi Sasaki could win it, and then went on to say that I think Danny Hogala could win it and Jamie Masia could win it. Like within five minutes, I can't even decide who's going to win it. And yeah, if that's not the most exciting championship battle we've had in quite some time, then I don't know what is. Like. But then I say quite some time, and I think back to last year, and it was exciting. And the year before that, it was exciting. Moodoo 3 is literally just the best class ever, and I think that's all we I mean, need. I, I I reckon it's just illegal to have it. It shouldn't be this good. <laughs> literally. I, oh, I love it. But do you know what makes it even better? Do you know the way I was talking about how great Joel Kelso's weekend was? By signing a, a contract for next year? It got better because... He finished on the podium. He has taken his first ever Grand Prix podium at home, Phillip Island. 
in the wet, beautiful conditions. There was a minute we thought he could win it, but I think he knew himself. He had a moment and he goes, do you know what? I'm on the podium here. There's no one catching me. I'm going to take third place and I'm going to be really, really happy about it. Foul this under things you love to see. Top of the list. Unbelievable. Wholesome. Did you see his mum under the podium crying? Because it made me cry. Unbelievable. I saw, I think I saw a video from uh, a bar in Phillip Island. Yes. And everyone was singing, chanting with Joel. I mean, as we were saying, you know, all season has been looking for rides. He's had, you know, sponsorship issues. He's been, he's been out there. He's really, really gone through it. Injuries. Uh, Riding into the back of Danny Holgado at the start of the season. Yeah, first race. Yeah. Well, after the first race. Yeah. <laughs> um, and, you know, he's really, really gone through it this season. He's the first Australian on a Moto3 podium since 2014. Jack Miller? Jack Miller. Oh, yeah. Uh, Jack Miller Valencia, I think it was. Oh, yeah, yeah. Okay. Uh, enough in Moto three, that is obviously Jack yeah, Enough of my geeky yeah, fact. Yeah. Um, I'll just drop that in. <laughs> cool. Anyway, um, no, I mean it's been a magical weekend for Joel Kelso. I mean it's been almost perfect. Oh yeah, have... the win would have made it, but. Well, yeah, exactly. But again, your first ever podium uh, in Grand Prix racing. You've got a contract that you've been begging for all all year round. And it's all at home in front of home fans who are going to be cheering your name. They're going to be wearing shirts with your number. They've got flags with your name and number on it. Yeah. I think it's really cemented his name, not only at home, but to the world too. You know, if you've heard anything about him, you've heard about his struggles this year, you've heard about his injuries, the silly crash with Danny Holgado, et cetera, et cetera. He's had it tough and that's, probably going to play in, in the back of a lot of people's minds but now you're sure yeah, going oh. yeah. and we've seen the glimpses we know that yeah. he's talented and this is almost just put him on the map basically he's you know he's not here to make up numbers he's here to compete yeah I think that's so exciting heading into next year just oh, I'm so excited for 2024 already but yeah what what a Moto3 race I still wonder about the conditions that they were allowed out in. As the race went on, the rain did sort of die down a little bit. It got better. But it was a bit crazy. We had a million crashes. Um, Goodness, a million is like my buzzword today. <laughs> um, we had a lot of crashes. We had crashes from Perez, who was standing in for the injured Anna Carrasco. And to note there that she will be leaving the Bo Motorsport team at the end of the season, um, which is unfortunate, and we're not too sure where she's going to line up next year. But hopefully she might make it back before the end of the season. Not too sure about that one. She had a pretty rough injury, so that actually could be the last that we see of Anna Carrasco. Um, but yes, crash for Perez. Uh, we then had a crash from Asman, a crash from Salvador, a crash from Alonso, Aji. Munoz, Farioli, Ortola, and Marrera did not finish as well. Crazy. Just absolutely crazy. Uh, to note there as well, uh, Scott Ogden did not race this weekend. Uh, I have to mention the British riders. 
I don't know what was going on. Bike problem upon bike problem. He spun a total of nine laps this weekend, was outside the 105% for qualification, was not allowed to participate in quali, obviously for that reason, because he's not set a time fast enough. And yeah, had to sit and watch the race from, from the garage come Sunday. Pretty crap luck, to be honest. And I'm really, really annoyed for Scott because this year has just been bad luck upon bad luck but on the other side of the garage Josh Watley finishing 14th he was one of those riders who I mentioned had a long lap penalty and had to start from the back of the grid at the start of the race but these sorts of conditions are conditions that British riders thrive in because we're used to the winds the rain and every other snowy condition that there could be too I mean we've just had it all all weekend already yeah Storm Babette in the UK it's pretty similar conditions to what it was like in Phillip Island I've been told and yeah Josh Watley thrived in it so good to see him up in the points Um, bit annoying that he was involved in the mucking around in qualifying but you know he's been on the up for a couple weeks now and hopefully next week he can keep it clean and go out and score points again fingers crossed but Moving on to Moto2. Weather is getting worse. But it was just the winds that was getting worse at this point. We knew that this was coming. The rain wasn't horrendous. We go out. Lights go out. And about, what is it, eight riders crash within five laps in Moto2? At one point, there was yellow flags in all sectors of the track. It was chaos and carnage. And you're sort of going, really? Should we be racing in these conditions? Until you hear Casey Stoner over the commentary box going, oh, this is nothing. Like, yeah, let's let's keep racing. Let's keep going. Eh? Why Why is one person saying one thing and, and, and Casey Stoner, who I would quite trust his opinion around Phillip Island, saying another thing? I mean, Moto Moto Two has been a bit of a crash fest this year. Yeah. Anyway, mm-hmm. I haven't seen a results page with about more uh, with less than about six riders not finishing. Yeah, it's been an absolute crash fest, and we knew the conditions were going to be bad. We knew the conditions were going to be tricky, and Moto Two has just done a Moto Two. Yeah, I actually said when the lights went out. There was eight crashes in five laps. Forgot to mention, we had another crash on the siding lap from none other than Pedro Costa. Very similar to Danny Holgado's crash. Uh, big high side. Um, picks the bike up. Has to get help back to pit lane, which means that once they manage to fix his bike with the help of both Moto2 and Moto3 mechanics, apparently, um, he was forced to start the race from the back of the grid, which... In Pedro Costa terms means game on. I'm gonna go out and win it. Um but yeah, weird weird conditions there. Um gonna jump back again. Sorry that this is too all over the place. Cause I have to talk about the race winner. I think that's where I'm gonna make a point to just talk about one major thing, and that is that Tony Arbolino is once again a race winner in Moto 2. By 15 seconds, should I add? I think that's quite an important statistic to add there. I mean, 
I've I've been one of Tony's big critics this season. Mm-hmm. I have been. Yeah. Um, you know, back you know back from even Assen's Silverstone way, he has not looked like um he did not look like himself. You know his former self from the start of the season, and to go out and win by fifteen seconds, you know this is this is this is Rossi esque. This is dominant like... <laughs> anything. Yeah, we have not seen anything like that in in so long, so long, and I'm surprised we're even talking about it being Tony Arbolino because again, he has been nowhere for basically since the middle of the season yes but you look at those conditions you look back to thailand last year you see who's on the grid tony arbolino's name was jumping out to me before this race started i'm going this is the conditions for this man if this is a race for him to win it's this one the conditions suited tony so perfectly we've seen it before we're talking about wet weather specialists put his name at the top of the list after that performance. I just thought it was absolutely fantastic and I really, really hope that this is the turn for him. I doubt it's going to have much of an impact on the championship. It's on, it's, this... on, it's, on, it's on now. We were talking about it being over. It's on now. Or at least I'm hoping anyway. Well, not really because this race was red flagged. Which makes his 15-second win that little bit more impressive. Because we only completed, like... Nine laps. Nine, ten, eight. I don't know how many laps. Not two-thirds race distance, though. Um, So we only completed, like... Nine laps. Yeah, I think nine laps. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know, guys. Um, Not enough laps anyway to call it for full race distance. Um, So that meant that Tony Arbolino only got awarded 12 and a half points. So what should have been a full 25 points haul and the championship fight, yeah, back on. Left a bit disappointed for Tony Arbolino and he, he made that quite clear in the after race interview when he goes, I don't know why we were why we were an, awarded half points when we should have been awarded double points because the conditions out there were that bad. I fully agree. And with the 15 second lead, just hand him the championship. Just, yeah, why not? No, I think it's it's a tough ask to even go out there and race, let alone win, um, get a good position, have championship implications, et cetera, et cetera. To go out there and, and and race in itself is a feat, in my opinion. Yeah. Because you cannot race in conditions like that. That is, it's 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 dangerous. It's you know, at most racetracks that would you know that would have been red flag from the start. Or actually, yeah, that would have been red flag from the start, in my opinion. <sighs> to win. Well, I say to win. He's got 12 and a half points. It's not much. It does seem a little unfair, but the rules are the rules. It was only nine laps. Yeah, it is it is annoying. It was clear today that I think no matter the conditions, they were going to go ahead with Moodle 3 and Moodle 2 anyway. For the sake of six laps, 
I'm really annoyed that they didn't just let it go on. From hearing the riders' comments after the race, I'm quite glad it was red flagged because it seemed to only be getting worse. Apparently, the wind was just completely taking riders here, there, and everywhere. So, you know, we're big on safety on this podcast. Yeah. So I can't really say, oh, we should have just kept going because I, I, I don't believe that. It would have been nice just to. With the characteristics of Phillip Island, you've got Siberia Corner, which is, you know, completely susceptible to massive gusts of wind. It's, yeah. you know, right in the open. It's it's going to be majorly affected by weather. Yeah. In saying that, though, uh, normality resumed for P2 because it was none other than Aaron Cannot. I just, yeah. I mean, not much to say. Seems pretty typical. I thought with Johan Zarco, oh my goodness. I just literally had a light bulb moment. Johan Zarco won. Dennis Onchu won. I knew it wasn't Dennis Onchu's first win, but at the start of the season, we grouped those three together as, are they going to win a GP this year? And I've just realized two out of the three have done it. And I, mean, I always could... joked, how funny would it be if it all happened in the one weekend? We've just missed out on the greatest opportunity ever. It's never going to no, happen exactly. again. But, you know, Aaron kind of, he finished second. And in other news, water is wet. So. Yep. Third place man was none other than Firmin Aldeguer. He was in a league of his own this weekend, took pole position. Tony Arbolino said after the race that if the conditions were, you know, just a little bit normal, not wet and not windy, Firmin would have had it in the bag. I fully stand by that statement too. He deserved to win that race. Had it been nice conditions, super fast, really exciting heading into the last three, sorry, last four races of the season. And it's the same podium again. Uh, Well, the same, sorry, second and third place again from last week, getting a little bit of consistency from those two. Yeah, this race was a little bit lackluster as such because of the red flag um it was annoying that we didn't get a full moto 2 race but there were some people who had full opportunities and grabbed them this weekend and it was none other than rory skinner started in 29th place i think it was 27th actually when they lined up on the grid and it finished in 12th Scoring his first Moodoo 2 points of the season in his rookie year. Bam. I talked about Josh Watley and British riders doing well in, in these conditions. Roy, you know, he's a Scotsman. He must be we, used to this. Exactly. I mean, we've seen it in his, you know, British Championship days. Yeah, light work. And he made it look like light work. He'd made up nine places in one lap. Well, what else can we say? Hand in the Championship. Ha ha ha. Um, yeah, I think it's absolutely fantastic. No one deserves it more. We've talked about bad luck with the likes of Scott Ogden. Rory Skinner has had somehow even worse luck this season. It's not been going well for the, the British riders, and this is exactly the result he needed. And I'm so glad it has happened. We're big fans of Rory Skinner on this podcast. Well, I am anyway. Um Harvey's putting a heart up, by the way, guys. I just, you guys should know that. And yeah, fully deserved. I'm so glad for him. I'm so glad for the team. Um, We love 
all of them over there at American Racing Team. And yeah, pretty, pretty bloody good. Need to talk about the crashes though, because there was that many of them. Um, At this point, really, it was almost a case of you just had to stay on your bike to do well. Um, We had crashes from Alonso Lopez, who had a massive high side at the start of the race. He looked really, really good. He qualified third, obviously won here last year. Old stomping ground. We're thinking, yeah, we've got a race on our hands. Really scary crash from the lead. Somehow everyone manages to not crash into him because the bike was in the middle of the track. He was in the middle of the track. Lots of people had to take evasive action, but all managed to get through safely. Could have been literally the craziest of crashes if something had happened, but thankfully not. Um, We also had crashes from Vietti, who was back this weekend after injury. Um, Cassidy, we had crashes from Jake Dixon and Sam Lowe's. Jake Dixon has been declared unfit after the race. He was taken to the medical cons- the medical center because of concerns um, to his shoulder. So we're not too sure what's going on there. He is going to undergo further checks tomorrow. So we've got our fingers crossed for that. Um, like I mentioned, Sam Lowe's as well. Philip Salach, Sergio Garcia, who also crashed from the lead of the race. He was doing so well. He had started seventh and had managed to get his way to the front. Looked really, really good. And I'm so sad that it did not work out for him this weekend. Also crashes from Barry Baltus, Darren Binder, and unfortunately are the and unfortunately Santa Van den Gerberg, who qualified in 17th but topped the warm-up. And we're sort of going, yeah, okay, this weather is going to be good for Santa, but costly mistake. And unfortunately, it was just not meant to be today. But yeah, that is it. Slight note, Pedro Costa finished ninth after starting from the back of the grid too, um, in nine laps. But yeah, somehow we've managed to make it through all three races. Because of the red flag, we were in doubt, obviously, over the MotoGP sprint race going ahead because they were flipped. And like we said, the the main race went ahead on Saturday and the MotoGP sprint race was meant to go ahead on Sunday. It was pretty quickly decided that we were going to scrap the MotoGP sprint race. Thank goodness, because it was about 2.30 a.m. UK time when that was decided. And I've never thought I would say it, but I was so glad it was scrapped so we could go to bed. Don't know if you guys could tell. It's been a rough one for us. We are we are in some state. I've said it for the last two weeks that we've been pretty sleep deprived on this podcast, but I think this week takes it by far because I don't know if any of this has made any sense. And if you've managed to make it through this far to this point, you deserve a medal that we don't have to give you, but you deserve one. We'll, okay, we'll, we'll win the championship. You guys deserve to win the championship. Add it to them. Um, yeah, it's been a crazy weekend again, and we get to do it all again next week. It's a lot it. more. It's a lot more time zone friendly. The sprints at ten. The most GP Grand Prix is a is at eight. Is it actually? I'm going to double check this now before you get my hopes up and I go I, to bed I, thinking I've this checked, is going to be good. 
I've I remember Thailand. I remember Thailand last year. I even missed it through rugby training. That's how late it was. You're such a liar. The Moto Three races at five a.m. I oh, wait. No, no, no. I said I said MotoGP was at eight. I think you said ten. MotoGP sprints at ten. On yeah. It's at nine. Oh, it's at nine. Okay. Well, we can do it's nine. It's still a lot more friendly, anyway. <laughs> Oh guys, it's gonna be another tough one next week. We we at this point hand us the championship. We have yeah, we deserve it. We <laughs> deserve hell and back. It for listening to us. We're three uh-huh. weeks in. It's going rough. Um, next week neither of us are gonna leave the house. I think that might help. Um, Harvey obviously being Harvey, lots of rugby going on this weekend, and I was at the Sunflower Trophy races over in Northern Ireland this weekend. I say over in Northern Ireland at home. Um, I've watched so much racing this weekend, my brain hurts. Um, and Harvey's brain is just Harvey's brain, so that's a well, usual. That's that's that. Well, that's lovely. That's a lovely comment. <laughs> it's just gibberish at this point folks so yeah we should end this here it's been a long day it's been a long weekend and we can't wait to do it all again next week thank you guys so much for listening to this nonsense this week we are at the siding lap if you want to follow us absolutely everywhere you can find us this podcast is now on spotify google podcasts and apple podcasts so wherever you're listening from thank you so much for giving up your time and we will see you guys next week with the thailand race review